one of the issues is that a lot of the DeFi hype in crypto, the real point of it is to justify the existence of those blockchains in the first place. Like that's why it's, that's why anybody's talking about it, you know, at all. Uh, that's absolutely not the case in Bitcoin. So that's, I mean, that's another clarification that's worth keeping in mind. Um, but yeah, there, there will be, there will be all kinds of things that, that are, I forget exactly how you put it in the question, like built on Bitcoin or something like that, which people don't need to care about and will probably be a lot more mundane in terms of just providing some functionality. It'll, it, I, I mean, I would imagine that anything that fits the definition or yeah, usefully fits a definition. People will use it in the first place because it will just make their experience interacting with Bitcoin more valuable or more flexible or whatever it is they're, they're after. It won't be for its own sake. It'll be because it adds some incremental thing to Bitcoin that maybe most people don't care about and don't need to care about. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Blockware Intelligence Podcast. This week I have on Alan Farrington. Alan, welcome. Thanks very much, Joe. Yeah, Alan, I think you tend to be one of the more like unique forward thinking uh, people in the Bitcoin space. Um, at the end of 2022. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you think so. <laughs> um, at the end of 2022, you published a, a interesting uh, paper called Green Eggs and Ham. Mm. Um, very interesting piece on the idea of decentralized finance. And you had a few very interesting topics in it. Um, I, starting out, I guess, how do you see the problems with DeFi as it exists today? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, this is this is a huge question. It's, it's probably worth giving a little bit of context on on how that paper even came about. Um, so I, I assume your listeners will know, or at least they're probably more likely to know of only the strong survive rather than uh, green eggs and ham, which was written now about a year and a half ago, I guess. I think we published, published it in September of 21. Uh, and I say we, cause I had a co-author who actually was pseudonymous at the time. He went by big Al then, uh, he now is happy to be known as Anders Larson. Uh, and it was the same co-author this time around. Um, in Only Strong Survive, it, it was a much more broad, sweeping assessment of what we saw the flaws in DeFi as being. Um, and in retrospect, we actually got quite a lot of it, not, I wouldn't say wrong exactly, but almost sort of weirder than that, like not accurate enough, like a bit too vague. Um, and the, the reason I'm I'm actually happy to characterize it that way and that that's the first thing I think of is that when everything went completely to shit over 2022 in, in crypto, well, probably crypto more broadly, but certainly crypto DeFi, there were a lot of people saying, you know, bringing up only strong survive again and saying, oh, they predicted this. And, and then when I, when I dug into like Luna, for example, I, I, I tried to be honest about this as well, but I was like, no, I didn't predict that. Like, this is way dumber than anything we actually predicted. Um, and then, uh, obviously there were quite a few more that, uh, imploded in similar ways and that, you know, then investigating them, uh, it, it was revealed. Uh, well, I mean, maybe a lot of people knew the whole time, but I, I didn't know the inner workings of Luna until after it imploded and then just find it hilarious and, and felt my, you know, the need to correct people like, no, I actually didn't, uh, I, I wasn't aware of this. I didn't predict this at all. I mean, I guess you could say something like, if you want to be charitable, we were in spirit, right? Like we, we, we got the idea that, you know, this just blatantly isn't 
finance effectively that's we 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 joke a lot we say this a couple of times in, in only strong survive and then we're a lot more explicit in green eggs and ham that you know our main problem with decentralized finance is that it's not decentralized and it's not finance uh, otherwise it's great though it's super interesting um but yeah luna was kind of decentralized in a weird way I'm, I'm sure you don't want to go into the mechanics of luna now but it was certainly not finance um so i guess we were right in that sense but we we really didn't the things that we talked about in Only Strong Survive were far more mundane, I guess. I don't know. They were simpler. Like, we assumed that these things were dumb in simpler ways. Um, and then, obviously, there was there were many other horrible things that happened over the course of 22 leading up to uh, FTX. So where Green Eggs and Ham came from was this meme that uh, was sort of, I don't know, astroturfed into existence... Uh, around, or just after, I guess, the, the FTX collapse by a lot of people in crypto who, I, I mean, I think meant well. I, I'm, I'm not trying to be overly critical. I think this is an accurate assessment to say that there was this meme which was effectively, oh, but FTX, and, and a bunch of others too, right? You know, it's like BlockFi or Celsius or Voyager or whoever else that had happened previously but had failed in similar ways. They're not real DeFi, right? They're centralized finance that just happens to be playing in crypto, um, you know, if anything. But I think some people even went further and said something along the lines of, actually, this proves why we need real DeFi. Like, this is a, this is pro-DeFi, <laughs> you know, this contributes to the pro-DeFi narrative. Um, and so Anders and I, uh, having, you know, attempted to at least fake humility, I suppose, and be like, nope, we really, like, I swear we didn't predict this, is way worse than what we predicted, um, decided to revisit what we had said in Only Strong Survive that we thought was accurate, um, it, you know, as a criticism. And, and actually, if anything, maybe explain it more, because one of the things we said right at the start of uh, Only Strong Survive was, uh, you know, we I forget exactly how we phrased it, but it was something like, you know, we like the idea of decentralized finance in theory. Uh, it's just, you know, what we're critiquing now in practice or, or DeFi, just to distinguish the two. We try to uh, use one or expression or the other, just to be clear what it is we're actually talking about. Um, yeah, DeFi, we then went on to critique quite extensively, but we never really came back to, okay, but like, what, wh why, why should you even care about decentralized finance, whatever you mean by that? Um, that was kind of unsaid in Only Strong Survive. Um, and so when this meme of like, no, this proves why we really need DeFi, this is good for the DeFi narrative started to emerge around FTX, we thought, okay, well, there's a nice way to kind of tie all of this together is to, first of all, explain or try to explain what it is we like in the first place about the idea of decentralized finance, be a lot more, I mean, we weren't specific at all, but in, you know, in this case, in Green Eggs and Ham, be really specific about what that could even in principle mean. Like, what would something have to be for it to be sensible to call it decentralized finance? Um, and then, as you would expect, the argument that falls out of that is, you know, none of this crypto stuff is, um, and FDX was completely dependent on whatever that crypto stuff was. Um, and so it's kind of a nice boat. It's, I mean, it really is just a, it's like a follow-on, in some sense, almost a, like an epilogue, I guess, to, to Only the Strong Survive. But we're, we're trying to marry those two points. So, um, yeah, what, what could decentralized finance even in theory be? And then, okay, well, none of this is that. So that, that argument doesn't really make any sense.
Yeah, I think that's a great intro to to the paper that you put together. If what is quote unquote as DeFi, if it's not decentralized, if it's not finance, like in your mind, what even is it today? Is it just like Ponzi-nomics mm. and gambling or how would you actually- that's, Yeah, so so gambling is a great place to start. I, I am, to be honest, I'm a little wary of getting too into the weeds on this purely because I don't want to end up just like reading you the paper, right? Like we, we try to, for the first, I forget exactly how we break it down, but the first, well, three parts, I think, before we, we get onto FTX, uh, no, two parts before we get onto FTX, we really try to be rigorous in terms of um, not just the, I guess, the, the logic we're using in, in teasing out what we mean by decentralization and then what we mean by finance, but then also this taxonomy that we came up with to, um, which I think is, is at least intended in good faith. And I remember there is a footnote that says something like, you know, no taxonomy is ever going to be perfect. Like arguably the only perfect taxonomy is just a list of everything. It's like an, an encyclopedia of every token that there is explaining each of its qualities. That's kind of beside the point of what we, what we want to explain. So we, we came up with this taxonomy that we thought was fair. We thought captured the historical development of, um, you know, various tokens in, in DeFi, um, or, in, or crypto DeFi, what they refer to as DeFi, which again, we would insist is, you know, neither decentralized nor finance. Um, so I'm a bit wary. Yeah. I don't want to go through each of those one by one. Cause honestly, you, if this interests you, you may as well just read it and then, um, you know, yell at me on Twitter if you thought I, I got anything wrong or if you think the presentation is unfair or is in, in bad faith. But in that question, you mentioned, you know, is it just gambling? I think this is a really crucial uh, bit to focus on because at least it's it's a very nice uh, entryway into our thinking about what is finance. So remember I said, you know, we, we spend a lot of time being as rigorous as we think is appropriate, I guess. It's pretty long. That's why I'm, I'm hesitating to say, you know, it's not like as rigorous as you definitely need to be. Um, but as rigorous as we think is appropriate in you know, being clear about what finance even is and then, you know, how that would apply here and then the same with decentralization. So in the case of finance, a really obvious thing to say, this is one of the first things that we, it's not the only thing we say, but so one of the first things that we say is that finance is more than just moving money, right? There are ways of moving money that do not constitute finance, like gambling, for example. Um, and from that, I guess fairly, I, I mean, I think it's kind of an obvious, uh, it's not even an observation. It's like a truism in, in, in some sense. Um, there's a lot you can tease out of that. So one thing that I actually think is maybe it's not exactly a compliment. It's kind of a backhanded compliment to a lot of what happens in, in crypto is that, uh, you can conceive of that as the use case. Like, I, I don't think it's accurate and it, it irks me a little bit. It's not so, I mean, I don't get offended by this or anything, but when when people, well, Bitcoiners typically just completely dismiss everything that's happening in crypto as like, not as immoral, say, because I think the that same argument applies perfectly, but as if it's almost not even happening. And like the people who are doing it are somehow mistaken about what they're doing. Um, I find that to be a bit disingenuous because clearly something is happening. There's like hundreds of billions of dollars at play here. Um, but I think by far the best way to analyze that is to treat it as gambling, right? And, and the key thing there is that gambling is real, right? Gambling is an enormous industry. Uh, it completely predates crypto. Um, 
it's you know there's you're not going to get anywhere denying that basically and so i think actually fitting this into like this is just a new way to gamble uh that clearly people find very attractive obviously there's a question about whether they realize they're gambling or not and that's probably where the ethical criticism could rightly come in um but that's that's one way that that's one kind of avenue that you can go down in terms of how it is sensible to think about the entire phenomenon. Um, another one is maybe veering more in the direction of, of well, Bitcoin, I guess. Um, but a kind of a different way of criticizing it is, okay, well, finance isn't gambling, or, or rather gambling is not finance. Well, what is finance in that case? Maybe why isn't gambling finance, right? Because I said, you know, it's, it's, it's moving money around, but that's not sufficient. It's... I guess it's necessary. It probably makes sense to say it's necessary, but it's definitely not sufficient. I think what is sufficient is the pricing of capital, right? So if you're moving money in order to either directly price capital or to facilitate the pricing of capital, then what you're doing can be described as finance. And then you can, you know, you can go from there. You see whether what this is like good finance, bad finance. I, I'm not even sure what I mean by that, to be honest. <laughs> it's like ethical finance or effective. I don't know. But at least you're talking about the right kind of thing. And I think with that uh, dichotomy, I guess, it it's becomes even more obvious. Even if you disagree, it's gambling. You know, maybe you maybe you think that's too condescending or something. Like these people know exactly what they're doing. Fine. I don't really care. It's it's still not finance, it's still something else. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, I mean I think I would describe it as gam gambling, what it is today, and, and people probably think of it as investing, and that's probably why the market is so big, <laughs> or has been so big in the past. Yeah, and that, that does seem kind of undeniable. And so another point that we make is that it's, it's not necessarily tied to this distinction as to whether it's gambling or not. It's really more around when we're getting stuck into, um, okay, if this is a... If these things are securities, which obviously they also all deny they are, right? If you, underst if you understand what that means, then it's pretty obvious that they are securities. Not even necessarily in a legal sense, just in terms of, you know, appreciating why they ought to have value there. You know, the only answer is, well, because they're securities. Um, or the, the only answer should be because they're securities. Um, but uh, I actually forgot where I was going with that because that, that <laughs> this whole thing about are they securities or not <laughs> kind of makes me so um, gets me so frustrated. Um, oh no, I remember. Sorry, it was about the the um, enforceability of the the rights to you know if you, if you admit that they are securities, um, you know how are the um, on on what basis should you be confident that you're you're actually going to get the cash flows you're implicitly valuing this or the flows of whatever, right? It doesn't even need to be cash. That's another problem that I think a lot of them have. Um, and we get quite stuck into, this is more on the decentralization angle, actually, you know, how is this enforced, if at all? Does it rely on the law? Well, because they all insist they're not securities and we know they're not registered as securities. No, so it must be something else. What is it? you get stuck into that and it's like well none of these are workable basically um i i'm i'm again i'm a bit worried that i'm kind of getting i'm drawing myself into this quite extensive taxonomy which i'd rather avoid but but there i, there, I think there are some yeah useful high level things that that you can definitely say about them um and the question of whether or not their securities is is uh 
pertinent. <laughs> it comes up over and over again. Yeah. So even if the, I guess the state of DeFi today is, is obviously fairly misleading, do you think it's something that's a worthy pursuit or, and also if so, like, do you think it's something that can be built on top of Bitcoin? Uh, yes, but with some caveats around what it even means. Um, so one is, this is kind of an aesthetic thing. It's not, it's not really directly answering the question, but it, I think it's an important point to make. I think we say this in a footnote as well in, in towards the start of our Green Eggs and Ham that it's kind of unfortunate that even if you make this distinction as we repeatedly do in both papers between you know what we call DeFi and then what we call uh, decentralized finance, DeFi in crypto has arguably been such a disaster that that distinction isn't good enough anymore. Like the brand is ruined. It's, it's similar to NFTs, actually. It's, 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 I really think it's the same kind of thing that I, I may well trigger a decent portion of your audience with this, but I, I don't think there's really anything wrong with the idea of an NFT. I think there's kind of, there, there are some interesting ways you could use that, but the way in which it was used in, I guess it was last summer when most of this happened, or maybe the some I I've honestly have blanked most of this out. The you know whenever the big bubble with, <laughs> uh, with NFTs was, um, that's just ruined that brand. Like we need to call them something else now. Even even though the name is like it's it's supposed to be a literal thing. It's like it's a token which is non fungible. Doesn't matter. It's it's destroyed. We need a new name. I think the same thing is honestly true with decentralized finance now. So I'm I'm wary about even addressing this without having made that point. Uh, I think we suggest something like, you know, maybe you could call it peer-to-peer -peer finance or open finance or something like that. Just to be as clear as possible that we're not talking about uh, basically importing all these same concepts that, you know, I just went through at kind of a high level. I, I deliberately didn't go too kind of granular on this, but that we have discussed at length across the two papers are really stupid, right? The, the point is not to just take that and put it in Bitcoin. And that somehow makes it better because Bitcoin's involved now. Like, I want to be extra clear that I'm not saying that. So um, you can still call it decentralized finance. I don't mind. But my advice would be for people to come up with a better a better brand name. Um, that aside, I think the answer is basically yes. And I actually think that, uh, like, a lot of this exists already anyway. Um, it's just... It's almost... <sighs> I don't know, paradoxical is maybe a bit strong, but it's, I mean, it's certainly unfortunate that because it's simpler, the stuff that does exist in Bitcoin, it, it's a lot less, um, it's a lot less sort of superficially exciting because it doesn't need to be, because it's not trying to shill you anything that the creators know is worthless. It just works. So like Lightning, for example, Lightning is decentralized finance uh, or it's peer-to-peer -peer finance. It's probably, again, it's, it's a, maybe in that case, an even easier way of understanding it. Um, I would say any uh, any tokenized asset that's issued on liquid is like that's peer-to-peer -peer finance. Um, so I mean, I think basically yes, but I think we should not to to whatever extent you're excited by this which I also don't think you need to be. That's maybe another different thing that Bitcoin is absolutely fine with no DeFi whatsoever. One of the problems, this is more from Only Strong Survive than it is from uh, Green Eggs and Ham, but one of the issues is that a lot of the DeFi hype in crypto 
the real point of it is to justify the existence of those blockchains in the first place. Like that's why it's that's why anybody's talking about it, you know, at all. Uh, that's absolutely not the case in Bitcoin. So that's, I mean, that's another clarification that's worth keeping in mind. Um, but yeah, there there will be there will be all kinds of things that that are I forget exactly how you put it in the question, like built on Bitcoin or something like that, which people don't need to care about and will probably be a lot more mundane in terms of just providing some functionality. It'll, it, I, I mean, I would imagine that anything that fits the definition or yeah, usefully fits the definition. People will use it in the first place because it will just make their experience interacting with Bitcoin more valuable or more flexible or whatever it is they're, they're after. It won't be for its own sake. It'll be because it adds some incremental thing to Bitcoin that maybe most people don't care about and don't need to care about. Yeah, I'm curious, how do you think about stable coins now? Like specifically, mm. I guess, dollar denominated stable coins, considering, you know, dollars, basically the unit of account used for a lot of debt and equity today. How do you mm. think about stable coins in their future uh, in Bitcoin and I guess broadly in crypto? Yeah, so I, I think I have two completely different answers. It's good that you made that clarification at the end because, um, yeah, I wouldn't have been sure exactly what, what direction you wanted me to go in. So I'll start with crypto. So I think, and so this is something that we we actually talk about at length in, in Green Eggs and Ham, that um, I think stable coins in crypto are probably by far, no, they're definitely by far, and they are probably the only actual utility provided. Um, as opposed to uh, well, obviously just scams is a decent chunk of it. Um, highly speculative stuff that is more academic. It's more R and D assuming it's not a scam, which I think there is some of, um, it's, a, it's even there, it's kind of a blurry line though, because you know, they're necessarily like openly traded financial instruments. So you, you really have to be careful, even if you are doing something that you think is just, is just academic. Um, yeah, stable coins are are just clearly they're they're just undeniably really really useful and I, I almost feel like that observation is probably bound to piss off absolutely everybody because uh bitcoiners will be annoyed <laughs> that not all of crypto is bullshit um and then obviously crypto proponents will be annoyed that i'm saying any of crypto is bullshit so this just alienates everybody which is great um but I think it's just it's just obvious. I, I just really don't think you can deny it anymore. And I I think um, actually getting stuck into why that that is the case, whether it's on a, from the point of view of like macroeconomics maybe or, or kind of geopolitics uh, is interesting. I mean, it's really it's more about dollars, right? It's not so much about crypto itself. Crypto is really just the rails for dollars. Um, but that's something Bitcoiners like to think about for, for sure. But then actually this is maybe bridges the two points. Um, okay, if you have to bite the bullet and say that it's really useful, uh, is there a way to bring it to Bitcoin? If there is, do you even want to? Is it necessary to bring it to Bitcoin? I think these are really, really interesting questions. And to be honest, I'm gonna kind of cop out and say, I don't think I have an answer on the what would you call it? Like the normative side, like that, you know, should you or shouldn't you, is it or isn't it a good idea? Um, basically because I don't think, I don't think it matters whether anybody thinks it's a, it's a good idea or not. Like it's an open 
network. People can do whatever they want. There's no like, there's no committee we submit proposals to, which is the great thing about it. Whereas there is in most of crypto, right? This is like a, this is a really worthwhile distinction that actually probably in Bitcoin alone, you really can't stop people using it in whatever way they want to. And so I honestly kind of think arguing about whether it's a good idea to do it or not is a waste of time. It might be interesting. It's not that, you know, nobody should ever do it. It's just, I don't particularly want to do it. Clearly it is going to be tried. Far more interesting discussion is, well, what does that mean for Bitcoin? If, if anything, maybe it doesn't mean anything. Maybe, maybe again, it's exactly, maybe it fits my prior description of DeFi as, uh, or pure, pure finance, I'd say, right? As, you know, how it's most, most healthily implemented in Bitcoin, where maybe you just don't need to care. I, th I think actually that's probably a necessary criterion that any peer-to-peer -peer finance in Bitcoin, ideally you wouldn't have to care about it if you weren't part of it. Um, is that the case if we get dollar stablecoin or any stablecoin, I guess? Uh, I don't know. I think that's a, that's, that is more interesting to me, at least, than should we morally yeah, there's kind of this like, uh, I guess breakdown in the stablecoin market. You have like centralized stablecoins like Tether and USDC, and then you have like more decentralized quote unquote stablecoins. Mm, yeah. Do you, and like, I guess UST, which was backed by Luno, is obviously one of the worst decentralized stablecoins. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but do you have an opinion on where that will go in the future? Will there be more attempts to create decentralized? Ah, yeah. This is. This is super interesting. No, I think this matters a lot. Absolutely. We talk about this in a lot of detail in Green Eggs and Ham. We didn't really cover it much, uh, if if at all, actually, in Only Strong Survive. But we, we devote a decent amount of space to uh, to precisely this distinction, actually. So there's a, yeah, there's a number of different ways we can approach this. Um, I guess the most helpful one, uh, again, trying not to be too granular about it, uh, but just pointing to like, this is exactly what we're discussing in Green Eggs and Ham. Like this is part of the taxonomy we come up with is that if, uh, I forget what we called it. I think we just called it maybe issued and algorithmic as the two varieties. Um, if it's issued, then it's clearly not decentralized. It's almost just by definition, you know, that's your single point of failure. You have to trust that entity, blah, blah, blah. But that doesn't mean it's not useful. Like just to be clear to back to the previous point they're incredibly useful people use them that that's how you know <laughs> that they're um that they're useful that people find value in them so that that's semantic to some extent but i think the you know the the argument that we're making at that point in green eggs and ham is a little bit more involved so i'll maybe leave that for now we can come back to that because that's actually probably going to be more relevant to bitcoin too the the algorithmic ones though i find deeply troubling. So I don't really think it's fair to hold Luna Terra as an example of that. Or, well, no, I mean, it is an example, but it's not a stereotypical example. It's an unusually stupid one um, that, yeah. I, what's funny, I don't know if you want to spend any time on this, but uh, it occurred to me just while I was uh, preparing for this that I don't think I've ever talked on a podcast before about exactly what I learned about Luna, like when I, you know, cause I mentioned before I had, I had barely heard of it when it collapsed and then it was only then I got stuck in and was like, Oh my God, this is one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. And hence it was too dumb to have actually been predicted by, by only strong survive. 
Um, we yeah, we can maybe come back to that if you want a, a more involved, hilarious explanation of how Luna actually worked or failed to work. Um, but I don't think it's fair to call it an exemplar of algorithmic stablecoins. Um, there are far more intelligently designed ones. However, I basically don't believe they will work in the long run. I think probably the only exception to this, or not, it's not even an exception, it's more like I have far less certainty that they will fail. It's like, okay, that might work, whereas the rest of them will definitely fail. Is, um, or oh, I forget what it's called, it's the, uh, the sovereign one with zero, I think, um, which I believe yeah. is a fork of liquidity, which yep. is an Ethereum one. The main difference being, I mean, it's kind of obvious in the, given the context, but that um, zero is the backing for zero is Bitcoin and the backing for liquidity is Ether. And I think the simplest possible explanation I can give of this, although it's I think this is inherently quite complicated and we do say in the paper actually that you know this kind of thing is they are intelligently designed i don't think this is is stupid i i just don't think it will work that's the difference between luna like luna is stupid but liquidity is not stupid i just don't think it will work in the very very long run because you can't guarantee that it will be over collateralized if it's algorithmic is basically what it comes down to. The, the, the only way that you can be very, very sure, there, there's an unfortunate tension. The only way that you can increase your certainty that it won't lose its backing is to massively over collateralize it. At the exact same time, everybody who's done this kind of thing advertises the utility of their algorithmic stablecoin by how capital efficient it is, which means how little backing it has. And liquidity and, and zero as well do have quite, again, I, I, I don't really feel too bad saying this, like clever, sophisticated ways of basically encouraging people to top up their collateral. Um, I don't think it's really worth, I'm actually not sure I remember exactly how to explain how this works, but I, <laughs> I, I understood it at the time for sure. Um, but it, I really just don't think that it will ever be enough far more so in the case of liquidity than zero because the backing is not itself money. So this I think is where they're actually very, very different, even though they're, you know, one is literally a fork of the other. Um, zero is quite like, or, or I shouldn't say it's like, it, it fits nicely into a sort of resurrected analysis of free banking, basically. They're issuing fiduciary media against a reserve asset that works to the extent that the reserve asset is money basically which was obviously was you know was true of free banking where it was gold was the reserve um it's not perfect and then you get into these questions about okay well how well does the reserve work like how so and to what extent is trust involved in either whoever's you know, managing the reserve, less of an issue in this case because it's algorithmic, but, you know, nonetheless, you could still get into, okay, well, are you trusting, you do have to have some trust in like the network if it's not suitably decentralized, that's maybe another concern. And again, better in Bitcoin than it is in, in Ethereum. But the, the way that it works with um, with liquidity, with Ether, and actually kind, this is sort of true of, um, of Terra as well, 
just with much much dumber design around it um it's a bit like if you did if you did free banking not with money but just with some random commodity it's like we're going to issue fiduciary media backed by corn right <laughs> or like oil <laughs> or whatever um or orange futures i don't know um it's extremely i don't I, fragile i guess i'm not even sure how to how to adequately capture it that i think this only works if it even just like in theory it, it seems pretty obvious to me that if you're if you're trying to avoid enormously over collateralizing it you can only get away with that where you can be pretty sure that the collateral like you're trying to be efficient with your capital right you can only get away with that where you're pretty sure that the collateral won't be too volatile or if it is will mostly go up and even bitcoin i'm a bit like i don't know if that's like you're there this is not risk-free right this is an experiment with ether like it's, it just seems nuts to me it's 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 to me at least it seems like it will just obviously implode at some point the fact that it hasn't yet is irrelevant it it just will eventually um and so yeah you're using it you should be very very mindful of that yeah i mean i totally agree like those things both liquidity and zero are very risky and you know experimental but they are interesting to me nonetheless i think yeah, it's... yeah no I, th I think they're super interesting yeah and and i i was trying to be very careful there again to distinguish like i don't think it's fair to use terra or usd i think is the name of the actual token you know as an exemplar of an algorithmic stablecoin even in like even without distinguishing between bitcoin and and crypto um liquidity is not dumb i don't think i just think it will fail i think i mean i think that the people buy this maybe goes back to something else i said a while ago when i was trying to like distinguish between the different ways that you can utilize crypto um i think the point i was making at the time actually was well stable coins are just clearly useful right um i don't at all think that liquidity is in the scam camp i don't think they're scamming anybody i think they're trying to build something that they think will be useful uh so far, it has been. I'm just very skeptical about the design. Here's a quick message from our sponsor. Being involved in Bitcoin means you value freedom. Financial freedom, freedom to save, and freedom to spend. Privacy, digital security, and no internet tracking logs are critical in the information age today. NordVPN is my favorite VPN service. It's fast, secure, and offers 5,500 secure servers in 59 countries. You can connect to any one of them and enjoy your favorite content no matter where you are. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. The best part about this sponsorship, there's literally no risk with their 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, They'll issue a refund and you can pretend the entire situation never even happened. Check out our link, nordvpn.com slash blockware to get your subscription started today. Yeah, I mean, both, like, for example, I guess if, if Bitcoin or ETH just fell 90% in like one second, both of those are basically destroyed. Like they're probably going to be under collateralized at that point.
So yeah, I mean, what they just like play devil's advocate, what the supporters would come back with, I think would be something like, well, it's never going to go down 90% in one second. It's if you look at any actual historical data of price movements, and then map onto what the defense mechanism, if you want to call it, I, I don't actually know what they call it. But I think that's a fair way of describing it. They have like inbuilt defense mechanisms. Uh, again, I mentioned before, it's a combination of um, the existing over collateralization and then encouraging people to top up their collateral. You can't, even with that, right? Like that, that's what they would put forward that like, no, we're pretty confident this will hold, you know, the peg will hold. Basically, I'm just, I'm not confident. <laughs> I, I think at some point, um, I think they, I can be a bit more precise, actually. I think they are too confident in what they perceive to be the game theory of why people would top up, right? Why people would willingly uh, ensure that it remains over collateralized and hence the peg won't fail. What I think is more likely, and basically probability goes to one on a long enough time horizon, is that even though people see that short-term calculus, their longer-term calculus based on the opportunity cost of doing so is that, okay, maybe this won't fail, but I don't care because I've had enough of this. I don't want to keep putting money in this to save it. Like I'm actually willing to lose that collateral because I can see that this game will never end. And, and you, you can't really model that, I think is, is fair to say that um, it's not foolproof against that. Basically, I think the peg will fail when that starts to happen. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, it's definitely a possibility. Um, how do you see, like, uh, I guess the future of stable coins uh, and like the long, long term future of stable coins, like dollar stable coins, mm. and like the future of Bitcoin? Like, will stable coins and the dollar always coexist w with Bitcoin, or will there mm. be a point where we may only see something like Bitcoin existing and no dollars? I really have no idea because I, I feel like this is more a question about like geopolitics, to be completely honest. I mean, I know it seems like you're probably getting at things like, okay, well, you know, you, there's Tether on Liquid. There's obviously Tarot is coming. Um, we can get stuck into what I'm, I'm not even really all that qualified to, to <laughs> say anything intelligent. I, I don't think about, about the technicalities of those, but I, I really think the that's kind of peripheral to the heart of the question, which is how will people presumably all around the world, because that's where there's kind of no reason to use a dollar stable coin in the US. Um, how valuable will they find the dollar? Or, or actually to be a bit more suggestive, how valuable will they be made <laughs> to find the dollar? You know, what, what will their uh, not just economic, but political circumstances be, uh, you know, at which point it, it, it just clearly becomes a, uh, not just a political question, but like a geopolitical question. I have no insight into that whatsoever. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, totally fair. Um, we talked to Eric Yates on the podcast, uh, like a t couple weeks ago, and we talked a lot about like the future of Bitcoin banking. Do you have a, a mm. an idea of what's going to happen? Like with Bitcoin? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't. <laughs> I, again, I wouldn't say uh, what will happen. I have lots of ideas about what could happen. Um, and I'm sure you went into way more detail on this then, but uh, Eric's paper on this is fantastic, uh, which I say slightly 
selfishly because I did help him edit it. I, I am thanked at the end, but I, my contribution was minimal. It was more like grammar and that kind of thing. Um, and telling him a couple more things to read and a couple more people to annoy. But the paper itself is, is really, really excellent. Um, yeah, I think there's all kinds of ways you can you can approach this. It, it, it maybe even depends what you mean, because I'd argue that something like um, like Bitcoin-backed dollar, well, fiat, but I'll just say dollar, right? Bitcoin-backed dollar loans conceivably counts as a form of Bitcoin banking. Um, and then there's all kinds of questions about how you implement that and, you know, to what extent it's... Uh, like where the trust lies, um, how you maybe implement different, whether it's like multi-sigs or you can be a bit more expressive if you want to do it on something like, uh, again, like Liquid or RSK or whatever. Um, so that's one angle, um, which I think is fascinating. I think it's probably a lot like that will be the first thing that we see at any scale. I maybe have already. Um, I actually don't, I don't have, I guess, the relevant data on that. Um, to mind it may be that that's actually at a far bigger scale than i'm even aware of um but it seems it seems obvious to me that that would be first i mean certainly more than any of the things i'll say in a minute um because it's a natural way of transitioning right it doesn't assume actually no it it, it assumes that you it does assume that you are not on a bitcoin standard right it assumes that you're kind of in transition or maybe even early in the transition um, and you want to align your liabilities and your assets in a way that, you know, you think, I guess, maximizes your likely future wealth, I suppose, but, but with, but with some awareness of what your costs are now. So I think, yeah, the, the very rough idea for why you would want to do that, this may be so vague that it kind of doesn't have any content. I don't, I don't know, but, um, it would be that you, you have dollar costs now or maybe even that there's investments you want to make that have to be paid for in dollars um but you're bullish on bitcoin long run right so you want you want kind of indirect exposure to bitcoin and then you can actually maybe add more sort of um variables or, or dimensions or however you want to think of it because again this goes back to exactly how you implement it uh do you care about how it's custodied, right? Like it is a part of your analysis of your future wealth or your likely future wealth. Um, <laughs> paranoid, I guess I was trying to think if there's, if there's like a less negative way of saying that. Um, let's just assume I don't mean it negatively, right? Maybe you're right to be paranoid. Like to what extent are you paranoid and does that feature into what costs you're willing to have now? So yeah, there's all kinds of fascinating stuff there, which I, I think that counts as Bitcoin banking. Um, Maybe the complete other end of the spectrum, though, is, you know, to what extent will there be uh, financial services, financial intermediation um, by, I'm going to be very careful how I word this, because again, I don't want to fall into the, the trap of like decentralized finance, um, provided by dedicated institutions whose business is to allocate capital well but in the form of bitcoin you know to what extent will we have that to what extent will we need that uh as opposed to peer-to-peer -peer, i guess well actually no not even that as on the one hand as opposed to peer-to-peer -peer, which is kind of a almost a technical solution to that problem you know to what extent can you just disintermediate those kinds of institutions um but i guess you could think of it like socially almost or like 
politically maybe where to what extent will actually will those institutions go away not because they've been disintermediated by a peer-to-peer process but because they they aren't needed anymore because the money actually works now <laughs> like i think that's also a super interesting question too yeah let's get into that a little bit like if bitcoin does become this like global unit of account um is bitcoin like this effectively like a benchmark metric for alpha or like a global <laughs> productivity index how how would you think about it i i don't think so i think you have to be careful exactly how you set up the problem though, right so so you said if it basically if, if we have hyper bitcoinization right like that's the idea if we, we don't bother thinking about dollars or any other currency we yeah. buy something in bitcoin um i don't think it in some sense maybe yes but i don't think anyone will find that sense helpful <laughs> if, that, if that makes sense so the sense in which i think you you could agree with that would basically be that your opportunity cost of capital is the deflation caused by everybody else being productive but i don't think it i don't i don't think anybody in that position would would think of that as really even being a return um i think it would be more like they would they would uh, what do i even mean by this thing this is quite this question is a lot deeper than i realized at first um it would be a factor of their their calculation of what their own cost of capital is in the first place. But that kind of, that assumes their, you know, if you're talking about even a dollars, right, if you're in any currency, if you're thinking at that level, you're a bit beyond, well, what is the return of money? Like, presumably, if you're, if you're thinking that deeply about it, then it is working as a unit of account. And and it's like its own return is zero almost, if that, if that makes sense. I don't I, like nobody talks about what the return of dollars is, I guess, unless it's in relation to some inferior currency. But then the setup of the question is, OK, but, you know, there aren't any inferior currencies left, so it doesn't matter. Like we're thinking about how to allocate capital and we're denominating it in Bitcoin. Um, I think so. Yeah, kind of. Yes, <laughs> but they wouldn't think about it that way. They just think about it as uh how they calibrate risk in the first place. The, the, the way in which I think they probably would say no, though, is maybe more interesting, that I don't think it would make any sense to call it a benchmark. Certainly not for, well, maybe it is a benchmark. It's like the, I guess, the risk-free <laughs> benchmark. Maybe it's like, well, you just do nothing and, you know, your, um, your money doesn't get devalued. Um, it definitely wouldn't be a benchmark for alpha, though, because... I mean, you're assuming a lot of context there as to what you even mean by alpha, like relative to what, but whatever it is, it would be relative to the creation of value in, in business and capital allocation that all of which is naturally denominated in Bitcoin. And so the decision you're making in the first place, if you are, if you're, you know, seeking alpha, I guess, uh, is, um, yeah, do you want to risk your Bitcoin at all? Um, which it, or maybe they're connected in that case. Yeah, maybe it's they, they will certainly influence one another. I guess um, it'll all come down to people will think about what their cost of capital is in a different way. I think maybe that's the most concise answer. Now that I've thought all of it out loud. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's something really interesting to think about. I think like 
How do you think, whether it's like an individual or a company or like a family office, how do you think in this scenario of like post hyper Bitcoinization mm. where there's only Bitcoin, how do you think that people will think about allocating capital? Will like they just hold a majority of their wealth in Bitcoin? Will they have like 50% or like a certain amount of equity, a certain amount of debt? Will, will there be a lot of debt compared to what exists today? How do you think well, of all that? The, the, I do have quite a concrete answer to this, but I think it's going to be really uh, dissatisfying. <laughs> um, hopefully it still makes some sense. So you can poke holes in it if you think I'm just like, again, copping out of answering it properly. I don't think you can answer this at all. And I think that's a good thing, right? <laughs> and <laughs> what I mean by that is that whatever the answer is, will be an will finally be an accurate reflection of aggregating up everybody's time preference. Um, and actually maybe not, maybe more than that, not just their time preference, but their, their risk appetite, um, their, uh, heterogeneous knowledge as well. So I think a huge part of the answer is, um, is you, you kind of have to backtrack a little bit and think, okay, well, what would be the difference to now that a huge part of people's, uh, budget, I guess, like savings budget would no longer have to be allocated the way it is now to like basically everything that which is what you're doing if you invest in like a passive stock index say or, or even a, even without needing to be precise about it the classic conception of like a 60 40 portfolio basically what you're doing if you do that which almost everybody does even if they don't realize it because it's like their retirement scheme is the one doing it for them that's a way of just trying to capture like it, it's a proxy for return on capital of everything right and you have to do it because Otherwise, your savings get inflated away. Um, when people don't have to do that anymore, there's a far more interesting question of, I think the naive answer to that is like, oh, great, we can just save and then no one will invest. And, you know, maybe that's actually not, that's like kind of problematic now. Um, and then you kind of, you know, if, if you're not clear about that, you slip into these sort of Keynesianisms of like, oh shit, we need to stimulate the economy again because um, because it's like the paradox of thrift, right? Which is, I think that's bullshit. But I think the reason it's bullshit is that one of the reasons it's, it's bullshit is being unclear about what the opportunity cost even is. So I think now the part of the reason, I, the, the reason people articulate to themselves that they do the index or 6040 or whatever, and you know, the invest in everything. Um, is that they have to because otherwise they're exactly what I just said, right? That their their savings will be inflated away. Um, but I think the opportunity cost of doing so is actually not investing in everything, but investing in one thing, right? Which is far, I guess, better. And I, I don't really mean that morally. I mean, like economically, it's far more likely to actually end up doing something useful right but people don't do it because it's risky um and because of the opportunity cost this is the link i was coming back to right like you need to preserve your value so you probably should just invest in everything you shouldn't take the risk of investing in something you actually understand i think that's the main difference in post hyper bitcoinization is that that calculation of opportunity cost isn't there anymore what you actually need to save, you can save in Bitcoin, but you free up the ability to do things that you do understand and you get a far, far healthier, well, lots of things. I mean, you get more intelligent capital allocation, more intelligent risk taking, 
far less parasitic finance industry. Um, and maybe that goes back to the question about banking as well, because I think there's, um, this is a bit of a caricature. I'm, I'm not at all saying that everybody thinks this, but you know, you will come across Bitcoiners who are like, oh, we're just going to get, we're going to disintermediate finance, right? Like we just don't need that anymore. I don't think that's quite right. I think the role of institutional finance is massively reduced for exactly this reason, right? Because there's no need to invest in everything anymore. Um, but I think it will still be useful to help lower, this is probably the simplest way of putting it, help lower the cost of capital for those who are doing it themselves. Yeah. <laughs> No, I think that was, it's, it's a super interesting, I think, to think about this idea of like post hyper Bitcoinization, like what's going to happen, yeah. uh, or if it happens at all, you know, maybe we're, or maybe I'm wrong or we're wrong. <laughs> um, but I guess like, w would you also potentially agree that basically what you're saying is like the pile of savings is just going to like drastically increase to what the pile of savings is today. And like, oh, I, think, I think there's no doubt about that. I, I, I mean, Again, I don't have the, the, the relevant data uh, off the top of my head, but there virtually are no savings today, or, or at the very least, you know, the, there's maybe there's two kind of obvious observations you can make. One is that to the extent there are savings is massively skewed towards the very wealthy. Um, and I want to be careful about what political point I'm making here. It's not that I'm saying that inequality is in and of its, or, or should be more specific, I guess wealth inequality, earnings inequality is in and of itself bad, but I think it pretty obviously is if it's a product of politics, basically, rather than of, it's a product of the Cantalot effect and not of um, just different economic performances, right? So just to be, to be clear on that, that the vast majority of the savings are skewed towards the already wealthy in such a way that I think we can probably all agree is unethical, almost beyond politics. Um, and actually the, I don't know if this is literally true, but, but a measure more like the median rather than the mean, or certainly at some point, it doesn't need to be, the cough doesn't need to be 50%, but at some point on the spectrum, a lot of people are worth a negative amount of money, right? They, they not only do they not have savings, they, I don't know if there's even a word for that. They have anti-savings or something like that. Um, and I said there was a second point. I think I've now forgotten what it was I was going to go on to say. What was the question again? <laughs> it was oh, it just if it's going to be different to now, if people have more savings, right? Yeah, just people having like a larger pile of savings. Like, will that be the case? Oh, I remember. Or yes. Like, or like yeah. globally too. Uh, um, it will be easier to answer that question properly as well. Yeah, this is the other point I was going to say. that uh, Because I think now money is so broken that to properly, or I guess to answer like the spirit of the question rather than the fact of it, you have to account for there being entire asset classes, the sole purpose of which is to store value and not, you know, whatever that thing is actually for, uh, like real estate being the most obvious one. And, and then that too, right? That This is maybe too much of a tangent to go down, but I think people will recognize it immediately, right? That has incredible social ills that follow from it, monetizing real estate in a way that once again, I don't think you need to be political in your appraisal of it to appreciate. It's like, it is the Cantillon effect. It's just more indirectly, right? Um, 
So that is the other reason that I think, yes, people will absolutely have more savings because it'll be more obvious what that even means. They'll save in money. <laughs> they won't save in uh, stuff people might otherwise actually use. Yeah, totally. And I guess if, if people have more savings, like potentially multiples or even magnitudes more savings, then I feel like maybe more and more people will have the opportunity to like pursue like actual opportunities to like create businesses and stuff. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's another way of framing exactly what I was getting at before. I was kind of stumbling towards it because I don't think I've ever articulated it before, but uh, that people will, you know, rather than invest in everything, the opportunity cost of investing in everything is investing in one thing that you actually know about. That will become a lot more appealing, which I think is... I think it's good for all sorts of reasons. I mean, it almost goes beyond the political. It's like the spiritual or something like you, you should do that. Like it's good for you. It's you're maybe a kind of an uncontroversial way of putting it or less controversial. Uh, if your kid wants to do that as a parent, you should encourage it. Yeah, totally. I know we're wrapping up on time, but I think this was like a fantastic conversation. It's always cool. Oh, I have a great time. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, where do you want to send the audience after they watch this? Is there any anything? Oh, sure. Yeah, there's loads of places. It depends on what part they find most interesting. So, uh, Green Eggs and Ham, and I think Green Eggs and Ham is my pinned tweet at the moment. Actually, if you want to go back further and find uh, Old and Strong Survive, I, I mean, you just Google both of them. They'll they should come up. You, if they don't come up immediately, then well, Green Eggs and Ham won't, I guess, because it's Doctor Zeus book. Um, but the title and then my name, and that'll that'll get you there. Um, some of the stuff we talked about towards the end, though, I, I probably should, you know, if I've come on a, a podcast, I, I should shill my book, right? <laughs> like, it would be, it'd be weird not to, but um, some of the stuff we talked about, there wasn't so much crypto DeFi stuff, but more like, yeah, speculating about hyper Bitcoinization um, is touched on at various points in uh, Bitcoin's Venice. Um, you can get that. It depends where you are. If you're in the US, it's best to get it from the Bitcoin Magazine website. Uh, I think it's cheaper if you do it that way. And also you can pay in Bitcoin if you do it that way, if you want to. Uh, if you're outside the US, so it's probably better to use Amazon. Or actually, in either case, uh, you can just get it for free if you go to... You can get it as a PDF from my site, same place where um, Green Eggs and Ham and Only Strong Survive are. Um, I also put some well actually i think somebody else did this uh and it turned out i didn't need to um but it's on things like z library like you, you can, it's in the public domain basically we we deliberately made it uh like there's no copyright or anything so you can just find it for free which i think is a good thing <laughs> i encourage that don't don't feel the need to pay me unless you really want a physical book yeah definitely i mean i definitely encourage the audience to go read the papers that you co-authored and and the book it's fantastic um but yeah thanks for coming on and really enjoyed this yeah thanks very much